Good morning, church. We're continuing our series in the book of Psalms. Today, I will be reading Psalm 8. As you are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word as a sign of his authority over us? O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the fields, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is God's word. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Um, my name is Scott. It's a privilege to get to preach from Psalm 8 this morning. Uh, this is a fabulous psalm. I've really been enjoying spending time in it this week, so I'm excited to take some time in it. With uh, My wife and I are on staff with crew, and students all leave for the summer, so often in the summer, we get summer assignments that take us to other places. Often, those are places that are beautiful. Uh, because we often go where there's going to be crowds of people that we can talk to about Jesus. One of those particularly beautiful places that we have often been sent is uh, Fort Collins, Colorado. Um, We have a national conference out there every other summer. At least we have up until now. We're switching locations, which is very sad. Um, But Fort Collins is about 45 minutes away from the entrance to Rocky Mountain National Park. And so for my entire adult life, every other summer, I've gotten to go and visit the park, which is just incredible. We have some favorite spots there, and we've had some very memorable hikes as a family and individually. But one of the experiences that I always have when we go out to Colorado is an amazement at the size and scale of the Rocky Mountains. My first reminder of that every time I go is driving across the plains of Colorado, uh, and for the first time, kind of realizing, oh, those aren't actually low-hanging clouds out there on the horizon. Those are actually the mountains. And then there's that reminder of, oh my gosh, yes, they are that big. They are that, that great. And then the first time we go to the park, part of the drive, as you head towards the entrance to Rocky Mountain National Park, uh, you drive through the Big Thompson River Canyon, And in parts of that drive, you are between these two just massive rock walls, cliffs on either side. There's a cliff, and then a road, and then the river, and then another cliff. And you're just driving through what seems like a tunnel, but but no roof. And you just realize how big this is that you're entering into. And then, of course, there's beautiful spots in the park where you just stand and enjoy the vista, and you see the scale of the mountains, and you feel tiny. I hope you've experienced that same feeling, whether it's at Rocky Mountain National Park or somewhere else, where you see this bigness around you and recognize your smallness. We'll come back to that thought in a few minutes. 
You may have noticed this when we were reading the psalm a few moments ago. Uh, This psalm repeats its opening line at the end. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When a psalm starts and ends with the same thing, like this one does, the same line, it's a strong indication of what that psalm is really all about. From the opening words to the closing refrain, this psalm is seeking to convey the greatness and the nearness of God. The greatness and the nearness of God. Or, as I'll be phrasing it this morning, this psalm conveys the majesty and the mindfulness of God. And that all starts in the first few words. O Lord, our Lord. If you have your Bible open in front of you, or remember seeing it when it was on the screen earlier, the first Lord of that phrase is all in capitals. Now, that's not a weird typo thing. Uh, That is a way of indicating that the original Hebrew of that, the word that's being translated, is actually Yahweh. It's the personal name for God. It's not a title, it's his name. The second Lord is not in all caps. Uh, The first part of it is, the L is capitalized, but the rest is all in lowercase. And that means it's a translation of the Hebrew word Adonai, which means sovereign or a master. Lord, the way it's translated, it's a title. So even though both of those words are translated Lord in our English Bibles, they're actually different words in Hebrew and they're pointing towards different truths or realities about who this is. O Lord, in all caps, he is personal. He is near to us. We know his name. We can have intimate fellowship with him. Our Lord, he is the cosmic ruler who transcends over all the universe. He is master. He is king. O Lord, our Lord, this great and awesome, majestic God is near to us. My goal this morning is to draw you into wonder and worship of God. And the way I want to try to do that is to point you towards the things that David says have caused him to worship. And there are two of them. And I've already told you what they are. The first is the majesty of God, and that is particularly drawn out in this psalm through description of the created world. The second is the mindfulness of God, particularly shown here through God's delegation of authority to us. So let me start with the majesty of God. I started this morning talking about the smallness that I feel in front of the mountains, and I hope you have felt that way. Maybe for you that didn't come in a mountain moment, perhaps it comes to you as you stand in front of an ocean or some large body of water, or as you have stood before the ferociousness of a storm or the aftermath of a storm, or as you look up on a clear night and see the stars in the sky and the vastness of that. Well, in case you don't get many moments to appreciate those things, I just want to remind you of the scale 
of where we live. We might feel small standing in front of the Rocky Mountains, but when you think about the earth, those mountains aren't even a dimple on the face of our planet. They're just a little ripple on the edge of this massive planet that we live on. It's so big that it holds us down. that We can't even jump more than a couple feet off the ground. Those mountains that make us feel tiny are a tiny dimple on the edge of our earth. But our planet isn't even particularly that big. If you were to compare Earth to Jupiter, you could fit 1,300 Earths inside Jupiter. And Jupiter is a fraction of the size of our sun. You can fit 1,000 Jupiters inside our sun. So if you're quick with your math, that's over a million Earths inside the sun. We are so small when we realize the vastness of the world we live in. And frankly, our sun is not a particularly big sun. One of the largest stars that we know of is called Y.I. Scuti. And get this, you could put five billion, billion with a B, five billion of our suns inside Y.I. Scuti. If you were to place that star in the center of our solar system, it would encompass the orbits of Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, and Jupiter. Do you feel small? (laughs) I hope so. God spoke all of that into existence. As David puts it in this psalm, the heavens are the work of his fingers. He set the moon and the stars in place. As vast and as grand as we can look out and see in this universe, God just made it. David really gives us the scope of creation in this psalm. He references the heavens and the earth. The birds up in the sky and the fish under the sea. He references from the start of creation to the consummation of all time when all things will be placed under his feet. He says God's glory has been set in the heavens and proclaimed in the mouth of babies. God's majesty stands above it all. How majestic is his name in all the earth. Something that is majestic is something that's grand. It means it's lofty. There is dignity and power. It's imposing and beautiful. It causes us to catch our breath. We're amazed by things that are majestic. His majestic power fills all of creation The final portion of verse 1 says that God has set his glory above the heavens. What is God's glory? What do we even mean when we say the glory of God? God's glory in the Bible 
is sometimes described in these amazing visual encounters that people have with God in space and time. I think of what John saw in Revelation 1 or what Isaiah saw in Isaiah 6. And usually when people had those experiences, they fell on their faces. They were overwhelmed in awe. But I don't think a visual really gets at the heart of what God's glory is. It's, we don't worship a visual. Those visual displays are pretty far and few between. Those are simply manifestations of the glory of God. So as I give you a definition of glory, I don't want it to be a visible image. I think the best definition I've found of the glory of God is this. It's the greatness of who God is and of what he does. Or you could say it's the awesomeness of who God is and what he does. Or the majesty of who God is and what he does. Or the splendor of who God is and what he does. So there's kind of these two aspects. Who God is, the character of God, and what he does, the actions of God. Exodus 15.11 puts those thoughts together. It says, Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. So you have these two different ideas sandwiching this declaration of the glory of God. Majestic in holiness, the character of God, who he is, working wonders. Who God is and what he does. God is glorious. He is majestic. He is mighty. And we stand in awe of him. But what about the mindfulness of God? As David contemplates the grandeur of God, he sits in this amazing universe that he created, David feels small. And he says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? David is stunned that God is mindful of him. I I would translate that verse this way. Oh God, you're so incredible. You're so amazing. Why would you care about me? Why do I matter to you at all? I'm using this word mindful because the passage uses it. What does that mean? Well, it means that he cares for us. Those two statements in verse 4 aren't meant to contrast with one another. What is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? It's actually a a common way in Hebrew poetry where they repeat themselves. They, They phrase it a little bit differently to give you a more nuanced understanding of what's being said. It's a repetition. The mindfulness of God means that God cares about us. And David is stunned by that reality because he actually does care about us. As amazing as all the rest of creation is, we are the crown of creation. All the stuff that makes us stand in awe, the moon, the stars, the mountains, the oceans, we are more valued than all of those things. David goes on to list things that God has done for and with mankind in the following verses. He says, He made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, crowned him with glory and honor. 
It's given man dominion over the works of God's hands. And he put all things under his feet. I picture David writing this down or, or, or verbalizing him and just shaking his head like, what? Really? Now, there is more to this than I will say in those four statements that I just said. But the biggest thing I want to point out in those four things I just listed is that God rules and reigns over his created world through us. He's given us position of authority in his world. Remember, we are like dust. He made us from dust, the dirt of the ground. And then he put us in authority over creation. David tries to emphasize that sense of vast difference when he says, out of the mouth of babies and infants you've established strength. God takes weak little creatures like us, and even like a baby, to give him praise and give dominion over creation. That's amazing. God, this grand, vast, majestic being who spoke the world into existence, cares about us, cares about you. I hope that's sinking in. That's incredible. Well, that choosing of the weak and even a baby to rule over creation perhaps set off some Jesus alarm bells in your mind, as I said it a moment ago, and it should have. Jesus comes as a baby. He lives in relative obscurity for most of his life. He rides into Jerusalem, the capital city, on a donkey with common people cheering for him. And then he's crucified by the authorities. Externally, that's like the epitome of weakness, insignificance. And yet the reality behind that was strength and might. God takes the weak in this world and he makes them strong all the time. This passage, even though it's written about humankind in general, is also about Jesus. In the New Testament, we actually see this psalm quoted four different times. The first one I'll look at deals directly with this idea of the babies and the worship. Matthew 21, Jesus quotes verse 2 in reference to children praising him in the temple. So Jesus is in the temple, there's kids praising God, shouting hallelujah, and the religious authorities are indignant. They are like, this is not cool. And Jesus responds to them by saying, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? He's saying, that's what's going on here. Infants and babies, they're praising me just like that psalm did. Remember, in the psalm, this is Yahweh, Adonai. He will receive worship from babies and infants. And Jesus is saying, yeah, that's happening right now. What an incredible demonstration of Jesus' claim to deity right there. He is God. That's a big deal. Hebrews 2 reads this way. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? 
You made him a little lower than the angels. Uh, you made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything under his feet. That should all sound very familiar. That's a direct quote of Psalm 8. And the, Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews goes on to say and explain, it says, now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So the writer of Hebrews applies these verses that are about mankind in general in Psalm 8 in very specific ways to Jesus. He says, Jesus was made to be a little lower than the angels for a little while. Jesus was uniquely crowned with glory and honor. and Everything will be in, put into subjection under his feet. And he goes on to explain, he's like, well, from where I stand in history, that hasn't all happened yet, right? And some of those things still haven't all the way happened yet. But just as the writer of Hebrews looks forward to that with confidence, knowing that it's coming, we sit today in anticipation of that coming. It will all be put to rights. He will rule and reign. And that part in verse 6 about God putting all things under his feet, that's quoted two additional times in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 15 and Ephesians 1. And in both of those passages, it's applied to Jesus' rule and reign in the age to come. So the initial reading of the psalm might not immediately be apparent that it's pointing towards Jesus, but it is. That doesn't mean it's not also pointing to humankind in general. I'm not negating all that I said that this passage is saying about how we should see and respond to God in the way he has elevated us and made us important. It does both of those things. So where does all of this land? God is majestic. God cares for you. Each of those statements by themselves should amaze us. But when you put them together, the combination of them is staggering. The majestic God who created everything, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-good, he cares for you. He values you. You are important to him. He wants to be in intimate fellowship with you. How do we respond to that other than to be amazed? We should be staggered by that reality. Let the full weight of that land on you this morning and be in awe that God delights in you. He is mindful of you. The majestic God is mindful of you. As David contemplates that, his reaction is to say, Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. His response is to worship He worships God. I want to just talk a little bit about worship. 
Certainly, worship includes singing. We do this collectively together. We, we call that worshiping God. And I don't want to minimize that in any way by what I'm about to say, but that's just a small part of what worship is. Obviously, it includes that. But the feeling that I hope I have drawn out in you this morning of awe and wonder and amazement and smallness, that's worship. When you see God in his might and his power and you're amazed by that, that's worship. Whether you have words to put to it or not, that's worship. It's acknowledging God's awesome majesticness and our smallness, our insignificance in and of ourselves. That amazement you feel, that is worship too. When you lay aside your own plans and say, God, I'm going to do what you're calling me to do, that's worship. Because you're saying, God, you're great. My ideas are much smaller than that. When you give to God time or money or whatever, that's an act of worship. You're saying, God, you're more valuable than me. You're great. My plans are small. You're worth it. When we pray, we're saying, God, I can't do this because I'm small. You're great. You're mighty. You're powerful. So I come to you. I need you. These are all acts of worship. I realize we don't live right next to giant mountains and we don't live next to a giant sea or ocean. We live in the plains of central Illinois. And you can still do this. You can still look out across the fields or the giant oak tree in your backyard or the anthill right next to your sidewalk and contemplate God in his majesty and all that he has made. Some of you grow near, grew up near, or live on farms. And he talks about the animals. Like, you can be drawn to an amazement at the greatness of God by even the things that are around us every day. And as you do that, don't just stop there, but remember, remind yourself that God cares for you. That God who made all of that in all of his majesty, he loves you cares about you. And let that draw you into worship. Let me pray. God, you are amazing. It is stunning to me when I think about your power and your might and your majesty. As blown away as I am by that, God, your care for me doesn't make sense in light of that but it blows me away. Thank you, God, for revealing your greatness to us. Lord, help me, help us to never forget your grandeur and your glory or to think that you don't care for us because you do. Help us to sit in that wonderment and worship you in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.